chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute, dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were anointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled to Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made the choice amongst you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between them, between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our Father have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Amen. I feel like we should just leave it there, perhaps. And, and they all said amen. Um, uh, so let me pray uh, uh, for God's uh, Holy Spirit to uh, illuminate this word to us this morning. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would enable us um, to not just understand what this meant uh, in that day over thousands of years ago, but I pray that you would help us to understand how you would have us respond in our day to this word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our series to the ends of the earth. Um, this is actually the penultimate, which I'm pretty sure means second last uh, message in this series. And so we'll wrap it up uh, next week. Uh, but this week we're, we're focusing on this pivotal moment in the history of the church, in Acts chapter 15. This is at the centre of the book of Acts for a reason, um, because it's at the centre of the theology of Acts. And so this morning, before we jump into this passage, I want to ask you the question, I actually want you to ask yourself the question, how do we respond to people who are different? How do you respond to people who are radically different to you? People who dress differently, speak differently, people who have different values in life, people who seem to follow a different set of rules to, to what you consider the norms. How do you respond? Now, I'm not just talking about race and ethnicity here. I'm, I'm talking about people who just seem so different to you that you can't comprehend who they are and what they do and what their background is. How do you respond? Not just how do you think you should respond, how do you respond in here? Because that's the, the question that the early church was dealing with in Acts chapter 15. How do we respond to people who are completely different to our way of life? And on the surface of things, it's, a, it's an issue about how do we accept others who are different, but, but at the heart of it, it's actually a salvation issue. It's actually an issue of 
Who can be saved in Jesus? And so that's the question that the early church were, were wrestling with. How do we respond to outsiders? And so there was a problem in the early church and the problem was outsiders were becoming in. And so the, the church began, Christianity began as a Jewish sect. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Jewish hope for a Messiah, a prophet to come, for one to restore the kingdom of Israel. Jesus was, was Jewish and everything he did was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. And so the first to believe in him were Jewish. And they had no concept in their mind that this thing called Christianity or, or following Jesus or being followers of the way or being believers, all the different language that's used in the Bible to describe those who trust in Jesus, they had no concept that this would become something that would burst out of the bounds of Judaism. They saw themselves as the faithful remnant of true Jewish faith. That was where Christianity began. But in the book of Acts, we, we see that the gospel begins to spread to the Gentiles, those who were not Jewish. In Acts chapter 8 to 14, and we've kind of skipped through some of that in our journey through, but, but we hear of the Samaritans, the kind of cousins of the Jews, the kind of half-Jewish, uh, in a sense. They follow kind of half of the Jewish uh, scriptures. And so the, the, the gospel spreads to Samaria and Samaritans put their faith in, in Jesus and, and that kind of probably got on their nerve a little bit, like what's going on here, but well, at least they're kind of half Jewish and maybe now that they've come to faith in Jesus, we can make them properly Jewish. And then we get this story of, of Philip preaching to an Ethiopian eunuch on the way back to Ethiopia. He's been up to Jerusalem to praise God and so he's a Gentile, but we're, we're told he's a God-fearer. Uh, so, so that means a Gentile who's kind of practicing not all of the behaviors, but, but many of the behaviors, the practices of being Jewish. And so, so that kind of would have been, okay, that's something new, but, but we, can, we can conceive of that. But then as the story goes on, we're, we're told that Peter is, is led by God almost against his will uh, by visions from the Holy Spirit that he goes to this house of, a, of a, not just a Gentile, but the most hated of all Gentiles, a Roman a Roman uh, centurion, a Roman official. And, and so Peter goes there and, and, and he, he's, he's led by God to, to, to go into the house of this Gentile, which is something a Jew would never do, but, but he's so convinced that this is what God wants him to do. And, and so Peter speaks to them and while he's speaking about Jesus to them, the Holy Spirit comes upon them the same way it did right at the very start to the Jewish believers. And then the story goes on that, that we're told that this is outbreak of, of faith in Jesus amongst Gentiles in a city named Antioch. And we touched on this last week, that Barnabas, the son of encouragement, went there to teach the Gentiles about Jesus and he went and got Paul and brought him back to, to Antioch and Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch for some time and, and led Gentiles to Jesus and told them about Jesus and from Antioch, Paul and Barnabas are sent out on a missionary journey of several years around the entire Gentile known world at that time to lead Gentiles to Jesus. And so what's happening here in the story of the early church is that very quickly the church is becoming more Gentile than it is Jewish. And so the Jewish believers, the, 
the, the, the first believers, the apostles who were all Jewish, the Pharisees who we consider because of, of Jesus' opposition to them so far from Christianity but were actually the sect of Judaism that was closest to Jesus' shaped belief and so many Pharisees came to believe in Jesus but, but what they could not comprehend and tolerate was these outsiders being saved apart from the Jewish law. And, and, and the word circumcision is used there because that was the sign par excellence of being a Jew. So that was actually the, the barrier between many God-fearers who, who practiced the kind of Jewish life and, and many proselytes, many people who converted to Judaism. The barrier for many was the act of circumcision, which I'll leave it to your imagination to un- understand why that might have been a barrier for some, um, adult males in particular. And so we're told of this spread of the gospel to the Gentiles and this creates a problem for the Jews and it's not just because they were racist, it's because they were God's people. That's what defined who they were. They're told that they were a people called out of the nations. They were set apart from the rest of the world to be the shining light of God's people on earth. They were, they were the people who God called out from everyone else to be holy. They were the people who God called out from everyone else that salvation might come through them. And so this, this word is used in, in the Greek language and, and it's in the Greek translations of the Old Testament, laos, which means people, but it, it means deeper than that, not just people in general, it means God's people. I want you to remember that word. It might seem a bit arbitrary at the moment, but it comes up later. And it's kind of key to this passage. The Jews were God's laos, they were His chosen people. And the Gentiles, by definition, were outsiders. The Gentiles was everybody who was not Jewish. They were, by definition, not God's people. The Jews were told not, by God, were told not to have fellowship, to not eat at table with those who were unclean. They were seen as unclean as a disgrace to the Jews because they were opposed to God. And so this, this word is used of the Gentiles in the Greek language. It's called ethnos, which is where we get the idea of ethnic from. And so they were ethnos, which we could translate as nations. They were, they were by definition not God's people. And so the point is that Laos, God's people is over here and ethnos, not God's people, is over here and those two words are mutually exclusive. You can't have Gentile, God's people. You can't have ethnos, Laos. They don't go together. They, by definition, are opposites. And so the, so the Jewish believers were not being racist in, in, in uh, struggling with this issue. They were struggling with the concept of the people we have been told to stay separate from from our entire existence are now starting to believe in Jesus. So the question was that they struggled with was how could these outsiders, these others, these, these people who live a radically different life to us, who, who've lived with radically different values to us, who, who behave according to a completely different set of rules, how can these outsiders be welcomed into the church? How can these outsiders who have complete disregard for the law of God, possibly be saved. And so in this passage, 
we read about a solution. Oops. We read about a solution. The solution offered by, by, by humans, by, the, by a core of the Jewish believers, was that, that, well, the answer is that Gentile Christians must become Jewish. And that's an option that's always been available to Gentiles. It's, it's not a, a closed group. Anyone can become Jewish if they subscribe to the Jewish law, if they, they have a conversion kind of rite of passage for men if they're circumcised uh, and, and submit to the Mosaic or the, the Jewish law, then you can become Jewish. And so some in the, the church thought, well, this is the obvious answer. If to be a Christian is to be a faithful Jew... To be a follower of Jesus is to be a faithful Jew, then if you're a Gentile, then you must become Jewish. And so we read in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, at the start of this passage, uh, certain people came down from Judea, that's where Jerusalem is, to Antioch, that's where the, the heartland of Gentile Christianity is. And so some people came from Jerusalem, the hub of Jewish Christianity, to the hub of Gentile Christianity. And they began teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And then uh, we, we read, as Lauren read for us, that, that that upset Paul and Barnabas to a degree. And, and so they set out on a mission to Jerusalem to set up a meeting to discuss the issue. Let's bring the leaders of the Gentile church and the leaders of the Jerusalem church together to see if we can stay one church. It's a complete tangent I'm not going to go off on, but, but it tells us something of how we manage conflict. We move towards, not away from. And then so in this council, uh, when we're told about all the Gentiles coming to faith, uh, then it says in Acts chapter 15, verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of Pharisees, the strictest of Jewish sects, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And so they essentially were saying to belong within the church, these outsiders must first become like the insiders. To belong within the church and to be saved, in fact, these outsiders must adopt the customs, the practices, the laws and the behaviours of those who are already inside if they want to be saved. If you be like us, then you can be one of us. And so the message of this was, was that Jesus plus the Jewish laws and customs was what equaled salvation. That you need to believe in Jesus. And so these Pharisees, you know, some argue that they weren't real believers in Jesus, but that's completely throwing something else into the text that's not there. These Pharisees were believers in Jesus. But they couldn't comprehend for themselves that belief outside of Jewish faith. And so they said, well, that's easy. Others can be saved in the name of Jesus plus following the Jewish laws, customs, practices. Behave like me and then you too can be saved if you have faith in Jesus. Outsiders must become like insiders if they want to belong. So the question for us is, though we're... I'm unaware if there's any Jewish people here, so it's not about the Jewish law and customs, but, but if we think about the culture of the church, the question for us is, does the church today ever act in that way? Does the church today 
ever act like outsiders have to be like us if they want to be insiders? Does the church today ever act like, well, if you just behave like me, if you live like me, if you speak like me, if you dress like me, or like my wife tells me how to dress, then you too can be saved. You too can be a part of this thing we call the church if you just become like us and believe in Jesus. And so on the surface of things, like I said at the start, it's kind of like an acceptance issue, but it becomes a salvation issue. We might not think we're presenting it like that, but it becomes a salvation issue if we portray that you have to be like us to be a part of this. Jesus plus abiding by the laws, rules and practices of Christian culture equals salvation is sometimes the message we send. Does the church ever act like that way? Does this church ever act like that? Or at a deeper level, do you ever act like that? I know we think we shouldn't. I know we know we shouldn't. But it's not about shoulds and shouldn'ts. It's about do we. And you might be thinking, well, what's Christian culture? There's no thing like Christian culture. Just the same as someone uh, who who might say, well, I don't have an accent. Because I've learned the good Australian English, so I don't have an accent. Everyone else has an accent, um, but I don't. Uh, Just as we might think, well, Christian culture is just how you live. It's how you're supposed to be. It's how you're supposed to act. Well, we can't see it, especially if we've been a part of it our whole life. And and if you haven't been a part of it your whole life, it doesn't take long to be so morphed into Christian culture that we don't see that it is a culture. Um, And so to kind of break the tension a little bit, but also because everyone needs a good laugh, I just want to show you a video now called, uh, and it's American, so some of it might be over the top of our heads, and um, if you're a new believer, you might think, well, I've never heard any of those words in my life. Uh, But this is a a video by a comedy duet, Trippin' Tyler or Taylor, something like that, Um, called Shoot Christian Say. Bless his heart. I think he's backsliding. I think I saw him drink. Yeah, but in moderation. I just wasn't seeing much fruit. He's going down a slippery slope. How's your heart, man? How's your heart? I'm just such a words guy. It was a total God thing. I'm blessed. I've been working on my testimony. Is that secular music? We're opening with a secular song tonight. Wait, is this a secular song? Isn't she secular? Which station's The Fish? 104.3 The Fish. Safe for the whole family. You know he's a believer. I think he's saved. I just pray you'd give him traveling mercies. Mm. Pray for all Tyler's unspokens. Mm. Echo that. Just really like to echo Tyler's prayer, Father. I just, I echo that echo of my echo of his echo. I really feel like I'm being released from this, you know? I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just trying to be in the world, not of it. Hey, do you want to join our small group? You want to join my D group? You want to join my cell group? Community group? Access group? Accountability group? Acts 27 group? Dude, he brought it. He brought the word. That service last night rocked me. They're pretty purpose-driven. Yeah, it's seeker. Don't they do seeker service there? I feel like he's gotten really watered down. I don't feel like he really teaches the word. There's not enough meat, you know? Are they non to non? We have a great Wednesday night supper. Let's invite some dudes over and fellowship tonight. We're gonna have a sweet time of fellowshipping tonight. Dude, we had the sickest fellowship last night. We're going to extreme. Velocity. Ignite. Yeah, I'm going to ignite. The edge. The dive. The bridge. The ramp. Fire. Courageous. Passion. Echo. Reverb. Noise. Velocity. Drive. Elevate. Radiate. 722. 635. 419. Orange. Blue. Yellow. Green. Clear. Neon. Catalyst conference this year. I don't do that because I feel like it ruins my witness. 
been struggling with that. So I'm really wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with a doubt. I need someone to hold me accountable. I'm really trying to be intentional with her. I'm pursuing her for sure. I'm trying to guard her heart. Guard her heart though, bro. Will you hold me accountable to that? Yeah, well, bounce your ass. Bounce your ass. So it's good to have a laugh at ourselves from time to time. I want to say there's nothing wrong with Christian culture. There's nothing wrong with fellowship and uh, non-denom is my favorite. Though we're not non-denom. It's my, one of my favorite phrases in there or, or, or some of the, the kooky names we have for things. That, there's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't be embarrassed to be who we are. The issue is, do we expect people to be like us before they can be welcomed in and embraced as part of the church? Do we expect people to behave like us, dress like us, speak like us, change to be like us, to essentially be someone else than who they really are before they can be a part of the church or before they can be saved? Because the the message of the gospel is that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And so if we, we require other people to be like us before they can be one of us, then we betray that message. We betray the message of the gospel that Jesus is enough. And so there was a human solution that, that the, the Gentiles must become Jewish to be saved and to be a part of the church. But that wasn't God's solution. God's solution was that there would be a new people, neither Jew nor Gentile, a new people who were one together in Jesus. A new people, one together in Jesus. And so if we return to the story of Acts chapter 15 in this, it's often called the Jerusalem Council, um, this meeting together of Jewish, uh, they're all Jewish by the way, the, the Gentile church leaders and the Jewish church leaders were all Jewish. Um, and that this meeting together though of these two arms essentially of the church, Peter stands up who had that experience of, of God leading him to, to proclaim the gospel to not just a Gentile, as I said, but a Roman official, uh, the most hated of all Gentiles for the Jews. And, and, and so he stands up in this council and reminds them about it. And so he says in Acts chapter 15, verses 17, uh, sorry, 7 to 9, he says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. And just means as in the same way that he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And so Peter's reminding them of this experience that the Holy Spirit was poured out on, on Jew and Gentile in the same way, on circumcised and uncircumcised in the same way, on Gentile believer before they'd had any opportunity to become Jewish or practice any of the elements of Jewish faith, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them when they believed. And so I just want to jump back into to Acts chapter 10 to, to read this moment for us, just to, to place into our understanding what happened there. We're told that uh, in, in the earlier parts of Acts 10 that, that Peter was in a time of prayer. Um, it's not what's up there yet, we'll get to that. Peter was in a time of prayer and he had three visions of food being offered to him that was considered unclean according to the Jewish laws. And God said to him, take and eat. 
And Peter said, I wouldn't touch anything that is unclean. I've never done that. Uh, And God spoke to him and said, don't consider something unclean that I've called clean. And from there, he led him to, to go into the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, something else that a Jew would never do, and to speak about who Jesus was, his death and resurrection there. And we're told, picking up here in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says that while Peter was still speaking these words, that's the words about Jesus, the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues, or we could translate that in other languages and praising God. So if you're here when we spoke about the day of Pentecost or you've read about the day of Pentecost, that sounds a lot like what happened to the Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost. And it goes on in verse 47 to 48, it says, Then Peter said, he has this realisation, because they would have gone there thinking, okay, we're going to speak the gospel to Gentiles, we'll speak about Jesus, then we'll speak about the Jewish law, and then they will be circumcised, and then they'll become Jews, and then they become followers of Jesus. But Peter has this realisation, he says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water, they've already received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ and they, they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And so Peter recounts this experience to, to this council of believers discussing this issue in Jerusalem. And he says, remember, this is what happened. They didn't become Jews first, they became believers in Jesus and in that moment the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And so we baptise them, that's a a sign of faith in Jesus but it's also an initiation rite into being one with the church. And so Peter says, remember that this happened. And so as he reflects on that, jumping back into Acts chapter 15 now, continuing that story, we're told in verse 10 and 11, he says, now then... Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Peter's saying, well, we know now that we believe in Jesus that the law and circumcision and and the Jewish customs and practices, as much as we tried with them, they never led us to salvation. So why place that on Gentile believers? If they had no power to save us, Why put it upon them? And then he says, No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We believe that it is by the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And so Peter, in this meeting, discussing this heated issue of how do we welcome the outsiders in and the suggestion's been made, well, they need to become Jewish. And then Peter steps in and says, well, that's not God's solution. Peter says God's solution is that he no longer makes a distinction. He no longer sees Jew or Gentile. He says that we're saved by the grace of Jesus through faith, just as they are. There's no difference, no distinction anymore through Jesus between Jew and Gentile. 
God has now made those who were once considered a disgrace, who were once considered outsiders, who once were considered no longer, not allowed to belong, God has made them worthy of His embrace. God has made them worthy of being insiders. God has made them worthy of being welcomed in to His own people. God has made a new people, one together in Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul, who was present uh, at this meeting, who, who was kind of the lead apostle on the mission to the Gentiles, in, in a letter he wrote to some Gentile churches in Galatia, summed up God's solution in this way. Uh, in, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28, Paul says this, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul reflects on this this kind of coming to faith of the Gentiles, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon them, which is the seal of salvation, and he he comes to this understanding that there's no no, no more such thing as Jew or Gentile anymore before God. And neither is there a slave or a free person or a male or a female. And God's not abolishing gender here. He's saying that in Jesus there is no social divide, no racial divide, no status, no gender divide, no divide in all of the earth that separates some people from other people before Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no longer a distinction. We're all children of God, all clothed with God. We're all one new people through Christ Jesus. The, the divides that Paul touches on there were the three great divides in society at the time. Jew or Gentile, slave or free person, male or female. And so if what Paul says of those divides, if Paul says that those divides no longer exist before Jesus anymore than every other social divide, ethnic divide, any other divide in humanity that we can think of is abolished before Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus, one new people through faith in Him. That is God's solution. And so the question for the church to wrestle with then in Acts chapter 15 and for us to wrestle with today is, if God makes no distinction, then why should we? If God makes no distinction between people, then why should we? Why should the church? And so we shift from beginning with a problem for the church of, of what to do with these outsiders to a challenge now for the church. The church, as told in the book of Acts, but also for us today, we have a challenge for the church, not a problem. The challenge is that of embracing the outsider. And so if we go on in Acts chapter 15, we go on in the next few verses and a man named James stands up who is the the brother um, biologically, the the son of Mary, uh, Jesus' mother, stands up and 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 we, we know that James has become essentially the leader of the Jerusalem church. 
And so it says when they'd finished discussing this issue, it's that James spoke up and he said, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, which is a, the, the other name for Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. Now, if we read that in English, it just seems like a brief summary statement of what Peter's already said. But this is where that Laos ethnos stuff I was talking about before, who were like, oh, get on with the real stuff, um, not the, the Greek nerdy stuff. Um, this is where this comes home. Because in this verse in the Greek, the, the, and I forget which side I did, but, but the Laos, the people of God, and the ethnos, those who are defined by not being the people of God, those two words, Laos and ethnos, those two words that are oxymorons, are brought together and, and it says that God intervened. This is God's action that now ethnos is Laos that those who were once defined as not been the people of God have now become, through Jesus, the people of God. That, that God has turned the meaning of these words on their head. This, this Greek word for intervened could mean concerned for, stepped in, looked upon. It's God's action, it's His heart that ethnos, those who were not God's people, those who are outside, those who are looked upon with disgrace, and now Laos, those who are God's chosen people. And so James says, we've heard from Peter the recounting of how God has made Laos out of ethnos. God has made people for Himself saved, chosen, loved children of God for himself out of those who were formerly defined as being exactly not that. And so God's desire is to welcome the different, to welcome the other, to, to bring in the outsider and call them his own. And James goes on to say, that has always been God's plan. He, he quotes a portion of Old Testament prophecy and he, he could have quoted lots of different Old Testament prophecy, because there's, there's so many prophecies about this, but he said the words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it's written, he's saying that it's always been God's plan, though Laos and Ethnos have been separate, it's always been God's plan to bring the two together, and he says, uh, the prophet Amos, this is quoting from, he said, God says, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, and so that's talking about the restoration of King David's kingdom, which happens through Jesus in a different way to what was expected. But Jesus is the restoration of David's fallen tent. And this will happen, reading from the middle, that the rest of mankind may see the Lord, even the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And so James is saying, this was known from long ago. This was spoken of by God through the prophets, that, that even the Gentiles, even the ethnos, even those who were defined as not been God's people, would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. It's always been God's plan to welcome the outsider. And so James's conclusion is this, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult or troublesome or hard work for the Gentiles who are turning to God. 
He, he comes to this realization in the midst of this council, the leader of the, the Jewish church says, as much as it pushes our buttons, we should not make it difficult for the Gentile believers to turn to God. We shouldn't set up barriers. We, we shouldn't expect them to become like us, to act like us, to behave like us. We shouldn't expect them to look like us before they're welcomed in and embraced before they're offered salvation, before they're offered uh, the welcoming arms of the church. And so the church was called to fully embrace those that they once considered a disgrace. We as the church are called to fully embrace those that we have perhaps at times considered a disgrace. And so how's that going to work? And so for the the Jewish church, they kind of set up a bit of an agreement of of how Gentile and Jew are going to live together as this new people of God. And so in Acts chapter 15, James continues and he says, "Instead, instead of requiring them to become like us, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals and from blood. And so one of the fundamental practices of Jewish life was, was table fellowship, was eating together with others. And one of the fundamental rules about that was that you never share table with a Gentile. And so one of the, the, the key practices of the church was breaking of bread together, was, was sharing table fellowship. And so the issue was, if this is going to be one people... made out of a group of people who would never, ever in their entire life conceive of sharing a meal together, if this is going to be one people who share table together, both literally and metaphorically, then how are we, how are we going to bring that together? And so rather than this being a list of rules for the Gentiles, that it being, you know, Jesus plus don't eat meat sacrificed to idols, don't drink blood or eat meat with blood in it and don't practice sexual immorality equals salvation. This is what, Latin word for it um, is modus vivendi, which means a, a way of being together for two groups of people who've never coexisted, who've had conflict before. And so this is the Jewish church saying to the Gentiles, we embrace you. Here's some things that really push our buttons that's going to make it hard. We, we just can't imagine eating meat, sacrificed to idols or eating with others who are doing that. One of our kosher rules is we don't, we don't have the blood. We drain the blood in the, in the act of killing the animal and, and, and that's one of the kind of fundamental commandments that we've followed all our life. And, and so can you not do that so that we can share table fellowship together? And, and the, the Gentile and Jewish customs around sexuality were, were, were extremely different and a lot of the Gentile temple pagan worship practices were kind of sexually connected and, and so they're saying, you know, can you not practice sexual immorality so that we can kind of coexist together? Now, now out of those things... Um, we know that Paul in Corinthians talks a lot about meat sacrificed to idols and, and I won't go too deeply into it today but, but we understand that Paul considers that a situational thing. It's more about whether it's going to cause offence or not. Um, 
But sexual immorality is in a category of its own, particularly because of what it does to the person. Paul says that sexual immorality amongst the sins, all other sins are outside the body, but it's something that causes damage within. So it's not that these things aren't important and we can just sweep them aside, but, but what I want us to actually capture out of this today for, for our welcoming and embracing of others is how ridiculously short this list is. this is all a group of very faithful Jews put down about well can you just do or not do these things and then we'll come together as one people this is all they write down out of the thousands of laws and customs and practices they have practiced all of their life and considered fundamental to being God's people. What I want us to capture is how little is actually there. And we know, not that it's all just swept aside, but we know that they don't hold religiously to these things as the story goes on. And so this is a church who wrestled deeply with this issue of what do we do with the problem of outsiders and they were led by God to this understanding that God makes no distinction so nor should we and so they wrestled with that and fully embraced the embracing of those who are outside, those who were different, those who were other. And so the bottom line here in this entire passage is actually, if we go back a verse to Acts chapter 15, verse 19, the the bottom line of this entire passage is this. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, being, I think, all Gentiles... I'd love to hear if you do have a Jewish background, that's interesting um, and wonderful. But being all Gentiles, I want to encourage us as we finish this morning to, to think about what, what, if we blanked out Gentiles and put any other word there, what would it be for you? What's the, the person or the group of person or the type of person or the, per, the kind of things that people do that that most pushes your button? What, who are the people that, that for you, though you know you shouldn't think like this, are uh, 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 ethnos, not, not God's people? <coughs> Last week we spoke about the worst of sinners. I'm, I'm not so much just talking about how bad their sin is, but, I, but I'm just talking about who are the people for you that you just think their way of life is so different to the culture of the church or, you know the practices that I think are just normal for a follower of Jesus. Who is that for you? We should not make it difficult for anyone who is turning to God. And so if the church is to grow, if this church is to grow in our witnesses, in our witness, in our mission to those who are outside, not inside, then we're all going to have to get a lot more comfortable with being uncomfortable. We're all going to have to learn to be more ready to embrace those who, 
in our own thinking wouldn't be someone we would embrace. We shouldn't make it difficult for anybody who's outside to be inside. We're called to embrace those that we've perhaps looked upon with disgrace. We're called to embrace the outsider, the other, the different, to fully accept them. Not just in theory, but in practice. Because God makes no distinction. I'm going to pray that God would enable us to follow His lead. That's the story of the book of Acts. That's the story of the early church is the church being led by God into deeper understanding and practice of how much the life, death and resurrection of Jesus has changed everything. They were led by God. It wasn't Peter's idea to go out and preach to the Gentiles. It wasn't Paul's idea. It wasn't Barnabas's idea. It was God's idea. And so I'm going to pray now that God fuels us, leads us, pokes us, prods us, as he did with the early church, into the fullness of the understanding of what the gospel really means. That Jesus is enough. Full stop. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the times it comforts us, encourages us, blesses us, builds us up. And I thank you this morning for the times where it pushes us beyond where we would comfortably go ourselves. And I say, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, may we be pushed far beyond where we would be comfortable to go all by ourselves. repent of times where we have expected outsiders to become like us in order to be insiders. We repent of times where where we're not meant to, but we've, we've portrayed a message that speaks in action, Jesus plus act like me equals salvation. We repent, Lord, and we are thankful for your forgiveness. So, Father, I pray that you would enable us and empower us and and give us wisdom about living a life that lives out the message of Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. That Jesus is enough for us. And so, Father, as we live that message, I pray that you enable us with open arms to embrace the outsider, the other, the different, especially those that most push our buttons, Father. Especially those that we think, how can they believe and then act like that? Especially those that don't speak like us, that don't dress like us, that don't think like us, that don't live like us. I pray that you give us the open arms of Jesus to embrace them fully to welcome them fully together as brother, as sister, as one, as a new people, together in Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. May your power be upon us. In Jesus' name.
If you've been blessed and encouraged by this message, we'd love for you to become a part of the Yas Baptist family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.